You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer Podcast, Deer Camp Edition. These bonus episodes will launch each week in October and November and feature myself and other Sportsman's Empire podcast hosts from around the country. Follow along as we update each other on recent sightings and deer activity, share strategies we're employing to help get us on deer, and just enjoy a relaxed deer camp atmosphere. Before we jump in, I do just want to say a quick thanks to our partners. First of all, this episode is brought to you by Tacticam, the makers of the best point-of-view cameras for outdoorsmen. Tacticam's 6.0 and Solo Extreme cameras help you capture your memories from the field so you can relive them like you're back in the moment and so you can share them with family and friends. Their new 6.0 camera features 4K, 60 frame per second footage, up to 8x zoom, a touchscreen display, and one-touch operation. And the best news, you get all of this in a compact, durable, waterproof package. They also just released their Solo Extreme camera that provides all the features you love from other Tacticam cameras, like one-touch operation, HD footage, and a sleek, waterproof housing, but in a more budget-friendly option. You can learn more about the 6.0, the Solo Extreme, and Tacticam's full line of products at their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth is making comfortable, durable camo without the sticker shock. This year, I'll be wearing their Tarnan pattern, hunting in the piney hills of the southeast and the farmland mosaic of the Midwest, and I have confidence that this pattern is going to perform flawlessly no matter the setting. You should also take a look at their packs. They are, in my mind, some of the best out there for the mobile hunter and are unbeatable at their price point. Go check them out at huntworthgear.com. And finally, Deer Lab is the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab helps you store, organize, and analyze your trail camera intel so that you can make data-driven decisions as you target your buck this fall. Go check out their website, deerlab.com, to learn more about their awesome features and to sign up for your 30-day risk-free trial. When you're ready to purchase, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, to get 20% off of any of their plans. Now let's get into this week's show. Welcome to Deer Camp. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, Deer Camp edition. And on the phone with me today, I've got Mr. Mitchell Shirk from the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast. Mitch, how's it going? As we said when we were talking before here, it's actually been going on the slower side for me, but um, not too bad. Got out to do a little bit of hunting and be conversing with some buddies. More along the lines of how's it going for you? Man, it's uh, it's been really good. You know, I got here, I actually drove through the night on, um, let's see, Sunday evening to get here to Wisconsin in time to hunt beginning Monday morning. And so I hunted... Uh, hunted Monday all day long, got into Tuesday, hunted all day long, and all of a sudden I realized 
this spot that was kind of like my sweet spot, I guess you could say, my favorite piece of public, it has absolutely been overrun with pressure this year. Like, totally different than the previous couple of years, way worse than even 2020 was, and I thought 2020 was high pressure, and this year has just been crazy. Um, My favorite spots, uh, you know, they're not my spots, obviously, it's public land. I'm glad other people are out there getting to use it, Um, but those spots have been completely burned. Like, people have just been in there day after day after day. Uh, Finally got to talk with some folks in a parking lot and kind of get the lowdown on where people have been parking quite a bit. And folks were more than happy to kind of tell me, yeah, there's been a lot of cars over here, a lot of cars over here. And so I was able to piece together kind of like, okay, a couple of weeks ago, I was getting some really good picture intel in these areas. That really shut off. And that coincides with when all the people went in there, like when people really started hunting that, that spot. So putting the pieces together, I um, went into a, a little bit of a different area, kind of backdoored this little piece, and I figured, okay, if the people are going in right there, they're probably hunting right along in here. They're probably not pushing past there because there's things like a creek or there's things like difficult terrain that you have to cross or pheasant hunters on the other side that you have to deal with. So I put that all together and said, I bet you that this little strip right here is where the deer have kind of found themselves pushed to. And uh, I went in there the first evening and saw no deer, but heard deer get up, get up out of bedding, go down, cross the creek over towards some ag fields. So that next morning I went in and I thought, I'm just going to give this spot a full day sit. I've got confidence in it. It's got all the pieces that I like. There's some buckseim. There are a couple of rubs. There's a couple of scrapes. Uh, I've got doe bedding to my east and to my west. There's a perfect wind. There's a creek right here, meaning that, you know, the, the, the natural movement that you already get along a creek anyway, plus pheasant pressure coming from the other direction, putting all that together, I was like, okay, this is going to be the money spot. And uh, that first morning I didn't, or the first evening I didn't see, uh, didn't really see anything. The second morning I saw nothing, but I did hear the deer come back from the direction that they had gone off the night before and kind of heard them split to my east and west uh, to get back up into bedding. And then... I sat all day long in this spot and about 30 minutes before legal shooting light was over, I had a, I heard something coming from my West, which was in the direction of one of the bedding areas. And one of the reasons I like this spot, it's a little pinch. So it's got bedding to the East and West, but it really pinches down uh, really nicely. And there were two scrapes right in the middle of that pinch. And I was like, that's what this buck is doing. He's, he's keeping tabs on these two doe bedding areas. Uh, for the sake, you know, but with having these scrapes right there. So um, anyway, I heard something coming and look up and this monster, for me at least, tank of an eight point uh, comes in, works both of the scrapes, turns like he's going to walk off and out of my life. And I'm just like, okay, cool. That's how it happens. But then he turned and came on a dime, like came on a string right to me and uh, came into 15 yards, drew back my bow, skimmed the very top of his back. Uh, turns out I had adjusted my sight earlier in the day to 30 yards because I anticipated the buck movement to be on a trail that was about 30 yards out. And he came into 15 and I just gave him a little bit of a haircut. So heartbreaking, man. It is heartbreaking when you you put all that effort and emphasis and like that whole talk that you just gave me, like you were going through the process of, the, the strategy behind, there's the pressure here, I'm going here, I'm going to access this way, I'm going to spend this much time. You go through all that, and all that anticipation builds up for that moment. You put so much pressure on yourself for this moment. I mean, I do anyway. I'm speaking oh, for yeah. myself in this sense. But I put so much pressure on myself, and then that happens, and it's just a heart-sinking moment. Um, real quick, I had the same thing happen to me last year. I was shooting at 30 yards before I went onto the stand. And, uh, I, I've shot a single pin sight my whole entire life. I've never hunted with pins. And for whatever reason that day, when I left to go hunting, I kept my pin on 30 yards, had a buck come in less than 15 yards and, and sent one through his back straps and the neighbor shot him the next day chasing a doe. I mean, uh. it's just the way it happened. Um, but, uh, the stuff like that's going to happen. It's part of bow hunting. Yeah. Um, we're human. We make mistakes. I make probably more stupid mistakes than the average human being. That's just me. <laughs> um, 
but you know, we were talking about this beforehand. And one of the things I've learned from some of the more experienced bow hunters that I really appreciate, um, that hunt with single pins and I've, I've done this and I don't know how many people listening to this hunt with a single pin versus a fixed pin. But when you're like, I always have my pin set to 20 yards zeroed and like between 20 from, from zero to 25 yards, I know where my pin hits at that distance and I can shoot that. And anything that comes in your stick, because most of the bow shots that I've had in my bow hunting career have been under 30 yards, most of them. And uh, I feel like I just need to be ready for that shot. And if I have a shot that's 30 yards or longer, I need to have the time to go through my whole entire shot sequence to make that happen. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that seems to have really, really worked for me with the exception of 2021. But that was just an odd year so. yeah man yeah goodness yeah so it it uh it's tough this is my first year using one so i am i'm i felt like i was used to the equipment but but on and and even just a few minutes so this deer is over working some scrapes and i'm watching him and i even think to myself like okay your pin's at 30 so you know where you need to aim if he comes in closer, like I'm already reminding myself of this mm-hmm. and within a span of, I think, so I got it on film. So it's about 45 seconds from the moment he quit working that scrape until he finally worked over my direction. And in that span of 45 seconds, I forgot to aim low. Like I knew if he comes closer, I need to aim at the bottom of him, you know, basically aim for the heart and I'm going to hit lungs. Cause it's going to be just a little bit high. Um, but I aimed about midway up his body and zipped it right over the top. Um, the uh, auto, autopilot happens, and it's always going to take over. And aiming low on a deer, like really low, is hard. Like it, I've, I've gone through uh, a, a spiel of like really, really having to concentrate and aiming low on my shots. Um, you know, just in general, just because of the the reaction to the bow and the arrow approaching the deer for them reacting. But now, um, the, the one thing I'll tell you is is don't let the, the gear side of things weigh you down uh, because at this point in the season, you're not going to make major gear changes. But yep. what I'm curious to know is, so, okay, so you, you've been grinding these all-day sets out. You've um, had an encounter. You had an opportunity at a big deer. Uh, it was kind of slow leading up to that, but you, you had one happen. So now what is your counter plan now? Is that a, is that a spot that you feel, I've, I've got this spot pretty well figured out? And I'm going to continue to grind the spot out as long as I can get in and get out. My access is good. My wind is the way it needs to be. Or are you going to start to think about pulling out and going to another plan B, plan C type spot? Yeah. So tomorrow the weather is not ideal. Um, it's going to be, it's going to start raining at some point around eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. And it's going to just get heavier and heavier throughout the day. And so I want to get your opinion here in just a second on bow hunting in the rain. I'm not sure personally, because I've had, a lot of experiences just growing up. I've always been one of those guys that blacks out when I'm about to make the shot, uh, which is one of the things that makes this even more painful that I, that I didn't get this buck in particular because he came out and instantly I'm telling myself, Josh, don't screw this up. Get your breathing under control, get yourself under control. And when I took the shot at that buck, I, I had zero buck fever. Like I had just, I had turned it off. I had totally compartmentalized what was about to happen. And so there were no nerves involved. Uh, it was just uh, other than making me forget, you know, there was no shaking. There was no punch in the trigger. There was no rushing anything. I did everything right up to that point. Um, so it, it makes it harder, but with this particular spot, um, I have confidence in it, but we're about to get some really, really good weather. And so I don't want to burn it. I'm pretty confident. Nobody's going to get in there and hunt this specific spot, uh, based off of where everyone has been hunting. And knowing a couple of guys that are going back in tomorrow, I kind of know where they're going to be too. And so I'm thinking about letting this spot rest. So I let it rest today and I I took the day off, just recalibrated, you know, got my gear reorganized, got my car cleaned out, got, you know, went and bought some new broadheads and just shot and shot and shot and shot in the backyard for a bit, just rebuilding that confidence um, with my equipment. And then there's an, I'm, I'm thinking about moving to a different spot that's similar, but on the other side of the property. So it has the same kinds of features that this spot has, uh, with the exception of the pressure. It's probably not getting pressured either over there. Uh, but I want to, I want to sit that out 
and give it a give it a few more sits, and I will probably give this spot an all day sit on Sunday after this cold front blows through and after all this rain blows through. If that answers your question, okay. I think it does. So you, know, you talked about the all day sits. So um, where where do you say this is the point in the year where I'm ready to push an all day sit, or there, there's there's value in an all day sit, and also what about this spot that you're going to makes this an all day sit location in your mind? Yeah. So, um, first of all, it's, it's totally arbitrary, but November 1st is kind of like my on switch for all day sits. Um, I feel like all day sits get really good. November 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, and on to like the 12th, 13th. Like that's the time frame around November, especially 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. I really want to be in a tree all day then. Um, but I do it early on just because you get those midday cruisers on occasion. You know, you, you'll every now and then catch a buck moving through uh, at midday. So it's, it's kind of just an arbitrary thing. Um, but the reason that I had such confidence in this spot was that it checked a bunch of different boxes all at once. So um, one theory that I'm working on is the way deer respond to hunting pressure on a given property. And I think what I'm starting to see is that uh, deer in these on these heavily pressured pieces of public, yes, they're responding to the pressure. Yes, they're avoiding the pressure, but they're not avoiding it by very far. So it's almost like you just give the pressure kind of, a, of an invisible line on the property and then give a little bit of bubble past that. And if you can do that, boom, it's like all of a sudden you're right back into the deer. Like, like they have this almost like a threshold. So... You know, basically what I did with, with this specific buck, I went about 400 yards past what I thought was the major pressure line. And boom, I'm on a, I'm on a mature buck pretty quickly. Um, so this spot checked all the boxes. Number one, it was past the pressure threshold that I, was, that I feel um, kind of something I've just been developing for this property specifically. Number two, there were some scrapes in the area that were obviously being worked that were bigger than any other scrapes that I'd seen this year. Um, number three, I had confirmed doe bedding to both my east and my west. And number four, there was, it was basically a major terrain feature. So not terrain in the sense of like a hill or a ridge or anything like that, but there's a creek running through and the vegetation pinches things down real, real tight uh, up against the creek. So when putting all of that stuff together with the pressure, with the sign, with the bedding and the good cover, the terrain and the way everything laid out, this spot just checked all the boxes for me. And, you know, I'll be honest that day I sat all day, I saw one deer and it was the one I shot at. Um, well, and that's what you do on all day sit for. It only takes one deer. I mean, I got some buddies I was talking to. They're like, it's starting to weigh on them. You know, the rotation's going on and, you know, I haven't made it happen. It starts playing with your mind. I'm like, it can happen in the flip of a switch, but yep. um, yeah. Across most of the country, I believe, at least in the, the central to northern half of the country, it's been pretty warm this past week. So Very. do you feel that the, the warm weather was the reason? Do you I, – I, what's your take on that? Because, I mean, everybody everybody has an opinion, you know, what they say about opinions, um, when it comes to the warm weather. And I've, uh, I've had twofold happen. I've had times where I felt like it was suppressing deer movement. Then I've also killed the biggest deer of my life in 75 degree weather in October. So like yeah. it's, it's give and take a lot of the time. And I, what's been your thought this week? I mean, what, what would really flip the switch in your mind right now? Yeah. So, um, for the spots where the, where, where I was yesterday, I was close enough where I heard the deer come off of the ag, cross the Creek, come up in front of me and split in two directions and go into their bedding. And I'm pretty sure I could hear them all the way to where they bedded down. Like they couldn't have gone much further or they would have been, I, I won't give too much away. They couldn't go much further. Um, yeah, they just couldn't go much further. So I was relatively certain that I was real, real tight to bedding, like really tight to, to bedding. Um, and with that, the evening before and, and yesterday evening, I did not hear those deer get up until that first buck came in. And so, and then after he left, I heard some more deer get up and start milling around and kind of coming down just like they had done the evening before. So I honestly think that 
these, it, either it's the pressure or it's the warm temperatures, but it has kept those deer very, very close to their beds. Now, um, I'm just, I'm not a big fan of hunting on very warm days. It's just not as comfortable of a sit. I mean, yesterday it was in the seventies. I'm peeling off layers. If you've ever tried to peel off layers in a tree saddle, um, you know, it can be a bit of a, dude, it was, it was a huge struggle. I figured out yesterday though, how to get my pants off so I could take my base layers off and without taking my saddle off. So that was interesting. Um, yeah, I, I wish somebody would have been able to, to, to see me trying to do this yesterday, but Anyway, I figured it out because it was just so blasted hot. I mean, we had a 30-degree temperature swing. It was in the low 40s in the morning, like 41, and it was like 72 by the by the afternoon. So you dress- I was laughing my tail off of you so hard when I watched your story, and you did the, the whole the office of Steve Carell oh. thing about it. I just don't <laughs> like it. I was dying. I was like, he's got to be bored in this hot weather Dude, that he's doing that. It was so hot and so miserable, but I was also by water. Um, now water is not a limiting factor on this property. Water is everywhere on this property, in fact, but that also boosted my confidence in the spot. So, um, I did know that if the deer got up early because I was so close to bedding and because I was right, right on the water, pretty much, I thought I'd have a pretty good crack. Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the how to hunt deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with a 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data so that you can make data-driven decisions this fall. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you forget to correct the time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com for your 30-day risk-free trial. And when you're ready to purchase, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, at checkout for 20% off of any of their plans. Now let's get back to the show. And I think you got to keep grinding out. I was just talking, having this conversation, you know, um, of the, my, my main hunting partners were all tagged out except for one of us. And he, uh, he's doing what I would be doing. I'd be second guessing everything that I do. I, I mean, maybe I'm just alone, but I, I do this a lot. Like I go in with the confidence. I go in with what I know, but you start to not quite see the results that you think you should this time of year, what yep. you'd expect or or you're hoping that that first week of November is just the perfect hunting weather, and then you get thrown a curveball when it's the 70s and it's just crappy, and uh, you, you start to weigh in on your confidence. So, I mean, I consult with my hunting buddies all the time, and, and he's doing that. We were, we were kind of conversing over, what, what do you think we ought to do? And I'm like, you got to go with what you know. you got to hunt with a doe. Or we were talking about this specific uh, section of property and how the deer have been using it throughout the course of, of the hunting season. And there was a, a portion of this property that we were hunting that the end of September leading into October was loaded with deer in this one section. Hmm. Most of the time it was buck activity. And then you go a couple hundred yards in another direction to this other area. And it's been loaded with deer activity constantly as well, but it was higher in the, in the, the doe category. Recently when we pulled some cards, the, the first area I told you has been like void of any activity. I mean, I think there was a couple sits thrown in that area recently that had very little sightings. Um, but guess where they're seeing deer? It's where the doe were earlier in the season. And now yeah. you're starting to see that. Like, I think, I think he had a sit, he had the right wind for this one bedding location or it was a spot between bedding. The way it sets up, it's designed, it's between two very large food sources. 
And then in between it, there's um, like a real micro small kill plot that leads into a travel corridor and there's a water hole on it. And there's, there's a lot of uh, timber stand improvement going in between it. And it's one of those stands that if you get to hunt it this time of year, if you get the right wind direction, it could be a really, really good spot. And he got to hunt it already. And he, he had a fantastic city. Saw shooter had, I don't know how many, I think he said it was his best city he ever had 20 plus deer in the mountain. And it's like, wow. that's, a, that's a really good sit for, for up there. And he's like, he was saying to me today, he's um, like, what, what do you think I'm doing? Like, I think the wind is calling for that specific location. Like, I don't see a reason why you should not go back there. Yeah. And uh, he was like, well, one thing that sucks right now is um, they're calling for almost no wind. It's going to be like still as can be. He's like, I feel like if I go in right in the beginning, it's going to be, you know, the, the thermal's just going to be pulling down in the direction that I don't want to. I'm like, there's nothing saying that you have to go in at the crack of daylight or, or, or you know, before daylight breaks to that stand location. Like if, if the thermal is going to need to take over sometime between seven and eight o'clock in the morning, but that's when you need to get into that stand. You saw deer all day long. There's nothing saying you have to be there right at first, like hunt your way into that spot. And like, yeah, I guess, I, I guess you're right. I'm like, well, tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> tell her it can happen. Tell her it can happen. Oh, that's funny, man. So I want to, I want to pick your brain along those same lines, right? So I've got this spot that I've found and, um, two different things. I missed the buck yesterday. I got busted by some does the day before. Um, they, I was hunting on the ground. They saw me. They decided they didn't like what they saw, but it wasn't scary, so they circled downwind to figure out what I was. Um, would you throw another sit at this spot? I let it rest today because I had some work to catch up on. Would you get right back in there if the wind is, is right for it? Yeah, that's a tough one. And I, I go back to um, what other what other tricks do you have up your sleeve? What other places do you have? When, when you when you go through all your spots, I do this all the time. Like if you go through and you've got a, a let's just say a half a dozen spots, and you're already hunting what you have in your mind is the best location, and the wind is right for it. I have a really, really hard time leaving that. Yep. Now, where you're at in your rotation, if you've got um, if you've got something that says, you know, I know the wind's good here, and I know I had an encounter with a mature buck, but you know, there's some other things that make me wonder. Um, I, I like it. I've listened to so many other good hunters talk about and, and try to answer this very specific question. And I think at the end of the day, Josh, it comes down to your gut. Yeah. It really does come down to your gut. What, what is feeling the best? What do you know about the, the work you put in in the off season, the intel you have right now, the sightings you have, do, do you, can you sit back and, you know, take the emotion out of it, sit back and say, is this a spot that I'm going to kill a buck? If I grind it out, is this a spot? And, and you probably have that in your gut, but you're, 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 because I do it, you'll, you'll second guess yourself and say, it might be better to, to bounce around here. And, um, that's a terrible answer, but it's a, that's the best I can give you because man, I, I'll, I'll be frank when I'm buck hunting this time of year, um, it's my least favorite time to buck hunt. Yeah, uh, it really is. And, and it, it should, because everybody loves the rut. And it's this is that, it's this is that. It's like, I, I think it's harder to hunt them because for me, um, in the early season, I know places where they bed. I know where they come to feed. And I can kind of bank on those things to make a decision and formulate and go in and kill one. And when I get to November, um, I, I think it's because a lot of the hunting that I've done is not as aggressive towards betting. Yeah. I'm not somebody that has done a ton of like diving aggressive to that, that betting location and all in or all out. And uh, I, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not been my style. And it, I've found that the places that I hunt, I don't have to hunt that way. Like yep. if I was hunting in your shoes and I was hunting pressured land, I completely understand why going in for broke in those best locations is the, what you need to do. But so, so when it comes to that rut thing, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to hunt with a doe and the doe are still going to do the same thing every day. They're going to feed and 
they're going to they're going to move back to bed. They're going to go back bed and feed. And if you know the doe are if if you're hunting in a location that's between two bed, doe bedding areas, it's hard to leave that. You, like leave to find leave deer to find deer. Like ugh. yep yep. So there, there's one more thing that's playing into my decision. Number one, I feel like I, okay. So the buck that I shot, I've, I've got him on camera. Um, he is the smallest of the four or five different bucks that I have on camera that I would consider mature bucks. Um, so while I'm disappointed, I didn't get him. There's also this part of me that's like, ah, one of those bigger boys could run through there. And he had, they haven't been messed with yet. My access in this spot is, is really, really good. Um, it's not the quietest, but that's what part of the reason that I threw an all day sit at it was so that I wouldn't have to walk out past the bedding, take a chance at bumping something. Right. So I think, and I don't think he boogered too bad. Like, honestly, he wasn't even looking in my direction when I shot at him, he was looking the other way and he, he obviously wheeled and ran like, something bit him, but he never smelled me. He never saw me. All he knows is he heard a loud sound and got stung. Um, how badly he's going to respond to that? I don't know. He may come back in there. Um, two things are making me want to, um, potentially move for tomorrow. Number one is that because all of my other spots are, are what I consider burned or kind of my, my honey, what I would consider like honey holes, uh, have been burned this year. Um, cause there were only three or four on this, on this property and they're all getting hit really, really hard by multiple guys. Uh, they are all burned. So number one, I need to find some new places. Uh, I don't want to just bank on this one spot for the rest of the rut. And I know it's about to get really, really good. This, this property really pops off starting around the fifth or sixth and seventh. That's when I'm going to start to see a lot of all day chasing and that kind of activity. Number two if I go sit it tomorrow, there's a decent chance I'm going to have to leave at midday because it is going to absolutely storm. Um, mm. Now, I can sit in the rain, but they're talking lightning, thunderstorms, all that kind of stuff. They're talking high winds. On Saturday, they're talking wind gusts up to 40 miles per hour, which I don't think is safe to be in a tree at that point. Um, could be a fun ride in the saddle, though. Um, and I don't know how I feel about shooting a buck before a major rain event. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that because it's going to start raining tomorrow around mid morning and it's not going to stop until Sunday or Saturday evening. So what do you, what do you think about that kind of hunting? Uh, well, I'm curious what, what were you coming from this about shooting a, a buck during a rain? Are you just concerned about the recovery aspect of it? I am. I am because yeah. I've been so scarred with difficult recoveries, losing deer in the past, all that kind of stuff. I am really freaked out. Um, to the point where I only take shots that are just like, like, like yesterday's 15 yard chip shot, right? Should have been super simple. Um, and so it freaks me out to shoot when I know that it's going to rain really, really hard. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, again, I, I think it's a mindset. So I've dealt with my fair share of spots and shots up. You know, I shared that one that I screwed up last year. That was an equipment thing beforehand, but I mean, my, I guess my mentally wasn't sharp there. But um, I, I've struggled in the past with hitting deer high, um, and then that would weigh on your confidence. Then you'd be thinking about how I have to react to the shot and how I need to shoot. And um, over the years, I've gotten better and trained myself, and this is how I want to handle things. And I think what it comes down to is, first of all, you need to know what you're capable of. How, what what you're you're comfortable with and what you're capable of, and you got to really really be disciplined to it. I mean, the example I'll give: opening night, I had uh, a deer come out. Well, it was the buck I killed this this year? But he came out, and it took me a long time to decide if I was going to shoot this deer. By the time I decided I was going to shoot him, he was at uh, 42 yards, and it was getting dark. And it was rainy and windy. Now, it wasn't pouring down rain, but everything was soaked. Like, I walked in in a raincoat. So, like, I weigh all those factors in there. And, you know, some people listening to this say, oh, 42 yards, that's a long shot. It is a long shot. Um, 
and I'll stick my neck out in this and people can, you know, bash on me all I want. Um, I shoot pretty well. I'm pretty confident in my shooting. I shoot double the distance that I feel comfortable shooting at game. Um, so I shoot out to 100 yards all summer long, practicing a lot, trying to get as tight of groups and try to replicate some real-world situations. So I feel comfortable that I, I, I would not miss at 50 yards where I'm aiming. I know deer move. I know there's a lot of factors, but I'm just laying that out there because 42 yards, I wasn't worried about that shot. However, 42 yards with those conditions, the risk that's involved, I think the risk is greater than in an ideal situation. So I backed off that shot. I know what the shot I can make, but it just, there's, there was that, I had that inkling of doubt in my mind. Yeah. And when you have that inkling of doubt in your mind going to that shot, you don't want that in your shot. Like you just talked about being on autopilot yesterday when everything happened. It, it went the way you wanted it and stuff happens and you miss. That's the mindset you need to have. And you can get that when you're hunting in the rain, but you've got to set your parameters, what you feel like if, if that's 20 yards and in only, if that's, um, you know, whatever. I mean, I mean, whatever that parameter is, but it, it's got to be a, men, a mentality thing. I have no problem shooting deer in the rain. I've shot deer in the rain and watched them fall over. Um, it's you just got to set that 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 stage for yourself ahead ahead of time. I guess this episode is brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. Onyx gives you up to date landowner information, color coded public and private land boundaries, and gives you a ton of tools to help you hunt smarter. One tool I'm loving right now is their optimal wind feature, which lets you set the optimal wind for a given location, then tells you in real time whether the wind is good, bad, or just okay for that spot. You can try it risk-free for seven days right now. Just download the Onyx Hunt app on your preferred app store today. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever been on a blood trail after the rain and, and had the rain be the thing that caused you to lose it? Because so with this for tomorrow, the we're looking at uh, between tomorrow and Saturday, I think it's something like an inch and a half of rain. So it's going to be a good, a good soaking. So have you ever had one like actually, you know, blow out your blood trail? Yeah, I have. It's, it sucks. Again, that was one, it actually wasn't my deer. It was my, my buddy's deer. I filmed him shoot this deer. It was one of those where you see where the arrow hits it and you're like, why did you not just fall over in sight? It looked like a perfect shot. Mm. But for whatever reason, the deer ran out, stopped, and then walked off. Kind of did the tail wag, whack, you know, whack, and walked off. It was, it was uh, aggravating. And then, of course, uh, about you know, we gave the deer about, I don't know, I think we gave it the maximum we could because the rain was coming in two, three hours into the dark and, and blood trail and we just lost blood. We couldn't figure out where to go. And then by the time we wanted the grid search and look the next day, it was gone. And unfortunately we found that deer a couple days later when he was rotted up in buzzards and kind of deal like that. And he, 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 I, I still don't know what happened with that one. I'll, I'll try not to make this too long story, but he was like behind where we were sitting where he, he like he went, East and where we found him was west of where we shot him. So I don't know if like it, it was interesting, and we had pictures of coyotes, so I know that there was there was like drag marks in one section. So I mean, he could have died somewhere, and then his carcass got dragged further, and that's why. But I mean, the distance of where he was um, was was astounding, like how far out that was. So it makes me wonder that he had to have circled around, and we just didn't know it. Uh, but yeah, that it, it happened. But again, it's part of bow hunting. And, and, and that's, a, that's a terrible, terrible thing to say and think about, well, it's part of bow hunting, you're just going to lose them. I, I, I know. Um, there's also a part of me that says you waited all year, 365 days out of year. You waited for this 15 days. Like it's all you think about all year long. Yep. And we do such a good job of weighing on our confidence and saying, well, I, I probably shouldn't go today because it's raining and I don't, and I don't want to do that. Or, well, the weather sucks and I don't usually see a deer moving on this. So I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beg up. Like there's a part of me that's like set your parameters, stick to your game plan and grind it out. Because if you let it all out, it still doesn't work out. At least you gave it your best. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about another thing. Um, when it comes to scrapes, I don't know if you do a lot of scrape hunting. Um, do you think that there's any credence to people talk about, you know, bucks will come in and freshen up their scrapes 
after a rainstorm? Um, so I, I will answer this by saying I'm not a huge scrape hunter. Not that they're not an effective thing. I just haven't done a, the bulk of my hunting on scrapes. Um, I have noticed on a couple cell camera situations where you'll see bucks hitting scrapes um, after storms, but I've never been, you know, wrote, written that rule as a thumb. Um, like I said, I'm so geared towards um, food cover, food cover in a lot of sense. Yep. Uh, scrapes are one of those things that um, I understand what scrapes do and how they communicate and what they do. And when you get into a situation like you're hunting in public land where you can find a hub of scrapes between bedding areas, like that just, that just screams uh, uh, something like that. Um, I still question different parts of the country. Um, when you get into this time in November, how crucial the scrapes are to me. Yeah. Like I, I, I've seen bucks work in scrapes the first week of November. I mean, I've had that happen, but I've also seen bucks just on a mission this time of year. And I feel like it's leaning more towards that mission of cruising downwind, looking for bedding areas, you know, checking that, that type of things. But again, you can't write it off. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, another thing that's, making me consider um, not hunting that spot tomorrow is this desire to get in and stack in a few more spots. So because everything came together at this specific location, um, like it did, there's another spot on the map that looks exactly like it. It's a little bit, well, it's a lot further in actually. So I know it's kind of beyond the threshold of pressure. Uh, It's got all the terrain and vegetation features that I'm looking for. The only thing I don't have is boots on the ground um, scouting knowledge of this specific spot. And with tomorrow being tomorrow and Saturday morning being a major rain event and with really good weather on the other side of that, like finally getting some cold temps for us here in Wisconsin. Um, I've considered taking tomorrow, scouting my way in, maybe even hunting and sitting that spot for the first couple of hours, maybe starting to move as the wind and the rain pick up so that I can at least scope out that other spot. And then once the big weather front passes through, then I know exactly where I need to be, whether it's spot A, which would be the first spot that I was at, or spot B, or whatever the case may be. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's all kind of playing, uh, playing into that. On the, on the scrape front, you know, I grew up hunting in the South, and I never saw a buck work a scrape in the South. I never killed a mm-hmm. buck over a scrape in the South. Uh, I never got pictures of a buck on a scrape after hanging cameras on said scrape in the South. It's just not an effective tactic. I've talked with, um, or I've heard from, I think it's even Parker McDonald who said that scrape Mm -hmm. hunting doesn't seem to be effective for him uh, over on the Southern ground hunting podcast. Mm -hmm. It just does not, at least in my neck of Alabama where I grew up hunting and in the hunting that I did in, in southern Louisiana, like extreme south Louisiana, scrape hunting was not a thing. But, man, here in Wisconsin, scrapes are the ticket. Like, I had, I had bucks working scrapes through the entire rut last year. Like, even when they were, they were running crazy. So I got this awesome sequence of pictures and video last year uh, on one of my trail cameras. A doe runs out. There's a buck hot on her tail. He rushes out into this little opening where she came and made a hard left. He rushes out into the opening, checks a scrape real quick, works it, and then boom, takes off right after her again. So it was like he came to that scrape that I think was kind of his area and was like, ah, I need to, I'm over here. I might as well check it while I'm here. And then he bolted off again, you know, after, after checking that scrape out. So I don't know, man. I, I do feel like if I get around scrapes this time of year, especially on public land, or pressured land. I won't even say public because pressured land, whatever, whether it's private, public, whatever. Uh, what that tells me is bucks like that area. You know, whether or not they're going to come back to that scrape, they at least like to be in there. And it's probably a place that they're not getting pressured too hard. They're not going to put a big hub scrape with multiple licking branches and all that good stuff in a place where that's just getting pounded. You know what I at mean? At least on daylight hours. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, I even think like, so I've noticed this year, the scrapes that usually that are in these areas that I really like to hunt that usually just get wallowed out like car hood size, almost, you know, a a scrape tree that usually has multiple scrapes all the way around it, that kind of stuff. There are a couple of those in these spots that are, 
traditionally have liked to hunt. This year, those same scrapes are open, but they're not nearly as dug out. Now, I've put a camera there, and I've got several mature bucks hitting those scrapes. They're just not digging them out. They're not spending a lot of time there. They're not putting a lot of effort into that scrape. However, I got past the pressure the other day or yesterday, and all of a sudden, these scrapes are huge and wallowed out like that. And so I, I, I almost wonder if there's a, if there's like a difference, just maybe the number of times that they're visited when they're that far back in the cover, or maybe it's just the amount of time a buck is willing to spend there. You know, if at night they just kind of make a scrape, pass on through, they're moving on to other things. Whereas during the day, maybe they, you know, they're not covering as much ground, you know, when, when they're experiencing hunting pressure. And so they, you know, I don't know, but yeah. yeah, I don't know either. I mean, the only thing I'll tell you, I, I, I do my I do my best. I don't always do a great job, but I do my best that when you're, you're talking about situations and give me these details, I, I try not to, to impose my thoughts on what you should do because most of the time I feel like that's wrong and you got to do what your gut is. But the only thing that I really noticed in our conversation and you talking about this is you said earlier that you have a lot of confidence that things are going to heat up in a couple of days. That, Later in November, I forget what date you said, maybe like the 7th through the 12th or something like that. Like that time frame, you feel like it's going to really, really heat up. Yep. And if it's really going to heat up and you have good confidence in the spot and you feel like it's not going to be tampered with, I think that makes a pretty good case in what you're saying about going and finding this other spot as tomorrow will be, uh, as we're talking, tomorrow will be the 4th. And you know, the weather conditions with, with rain and such might be conducive to be walking around. So. I can I can definitely see why that would be a pretty good and effective strategy. And I would I would definitely say that's something I would be in support of and in favor of. Okay. If you uh, if you feel that's going to heat up later and try that spot again. And you talked about that buck and shooting at that buck. Um, you know I, I I can speak for my area of the country and what I've experienced here in Pennsylvania. If uh, if a buck didn't see me or smell me and only heard the sound of a boat on off and he got, he was missed or stuff like that. I've had multiple instances where within a week that buck came back through that area. Um, might've even had another shot opportunity at that buck. And I will also speak from, uh, not through my own personal experience, but one of my hunting partners who has killed deer doing the same thing where he, missed him one day and shot him another day and all those same things lined up. The only thing that happened was the deer might've, you know, heard a mouth grunt and had an arrow fling at him. Like, what the hell is that? And takes off like, you know, what happened? But they, they don't, they don't process that. Now uh, I've, I've heard other more experienced hunters in, in pressured states like Michigan and stuff like that say that, you know, once they hear that, they know it's danger and they, 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 they know the gigs up, they know what's going on and they won't come back to that area. I'm not going to speak to that, whether that's true or not. It could very well be true. But I, what I do know is deer do not process things like humans do. Yep. So yep. if they don't know what happened, they will come back to that area, especially when you're, when you're setting up um, a, a good location like you have set up. I was just talking about this with one of my buddies the other day. Like a, a buck is going to be in a location for bedding. This is a bedding example. He's going to be there because he knows he's safe. He's got it set up for his advantage to see, smell, and evade predation. And if you bump him out of that location, he's not going to avoid that location. So I, I, I take this into my mindset of everything you laid out in the spot for, for, from my point of view. If he's using this area to his advantage for, for rut and cruising and, and that, and he, he got shot at, but all he knows is something flew at him and made a loud noise. He didn't get hurt. Um, he doesn't know what happened. I, I don't think that deer's just going to completely X that spot off. Of the, and I know a lot of people would disagree with me and might've had different experiences. Like I said, it's probably really very relative to the portion of the country you're hunting in and how bad the pressure is. Um, and that's something that you could probably disagree with me where you're hunting, and I would completely respect that. I'm just taking it from my perspective in places with moderate hunting pressure that I've seen them consistently use those areas after being shot at and missed with a bow. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, man. Like, And, yeah, this, this area is getting pressured, but at the end of the day, 
that deer can't possibly know what a bow going off is. Like, he, he can't possibly know what an arrow whizzing by his back is. You know, all he knows, there was a danger. If he came back in there later that night, he probably smelled where I went and picked up my arrow and thought, huh, there was a person in here. Um, so, you know, probably right. probably isn't real thrilled about that. But I, I agree. I've got a buddy who um, was actually on the episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast that was supposed to launch today, but it's going to launch tomorrow just because my evening yesterday evening after missing that buck was just out of control. Um, he saw the buck today around midday, around 11 o'clock. He shoots at the buck, misses right over the, his back. We had just gotten done last night talking about me missing high. He does the same exact thing to this buck today. So he texts me and he's like, dude, you know, this, the timing of everything couldn't be worse, you know, kind of thing. And uh, so he gets down to go grab a snack, grab some water. He's going to put in an all day sit. That buck runs through again by the edge of his yard while he's down at his parents' house, grabbing a snack and getting changed. Um, <laughs> he watches that buck run through and he was like, dude, what do you think? I was like, man, you got to get back after that buck. Like he's, he's liking something in your area and he's just going to be running your running this ridge line. He's in Southwest Wisconsin. So bluff country kind of stuff. I was like, dude, you got to get back in there. He's coming in. He says, do you think I should use a doe decoy? And I was like, dude, if there's ever a buck that's coming to a doe decoy, it's him because this buck was searching hard. Like when he saw him the first time he was searching, he cut through the edge of this guy's yard, just looking for a doe somewhere. He went back out this very afternoon, put in a doe decoy. That buck snuck in right underneath my buddy and he zipped right through him at like 15 or 20 yards this afternoon. So, not only did he not, you know, right off this area because he'd gotten shot at, he totally forgot and came into a doe decoy and it cost him. So, you know. Exactly. I think that kind of stuff happens all the time. I listen to John Eberhardt, you know, that's a, that's a name for anybody who listens. Um, I think one of the largest deer, and, you know, somebody knows the details of this, they can correct it, but I think one of the largest bucks that he ever killed in the state of Iowa he actually wounded prior to killing him in the same day. I think he shot one through the back, sent one through the back straps and the buck took off and rattled later in the day. And a buck came back. And as it was approaching him, he said, I was pretty sure I saw blood running down his back, rattled this deer in and killed him. Now I know what a lot of people will say in one case is, well, that's Iowa and there's, as, as John always says, there's 65,000 bow hunters and there's no hunting pressure and you can get away with murder. And I get that. And you can flip that over and say, okay, Michigan, where there's 400,000 bow hunters or Pennsylvania, where there's, I think, I think we sold, somebody told me that this year, Pennsylvania, I don't know if this is true. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But somebody told me that we sold over 500,000 archery licenses in Pennsylvania this year. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah, if that, like I said, if that's true, but anyway, you, you take that out and then you know that there's deer that a year and a half old, two and a half year old are getting shot at. And, you know, let's, let's, let's try to put this into, into perspective. Like you fling an arrow at a deer, you, you grip it, clip it, you graze it. Well, what did that deer hear? Well, maybe you heard a mouth grunt and heard the bow go off and it, it got a, a something jumped up and bit me kind of deal. Um, <laughs> so you, you get those three things and, all, all, all that can be associated with there was a negative stimuli with, with that sequence of events. So an older deer class in a higher pressure event, if anything that's replicated there, could it react adversely? Absolutely. But, you know, the case in point we were talking about where this deer stopped naturally, flung an arrow back, you don't know what it gets. I, I just have a really hard time believing that it's worth writing that spot off for that deer, especially when you just talked about, other mature deer that are frequenting that area. So. Yeah, no, there's there's yeah. plenty of other bucks in there. So this this spot's still on my radar. That my big question was going in tomorrow. I think, given the weather conditions, given our conversation here today, given just my trepidation about making a good shot before rain, um, and my own comfort level that will be hindered by that. Uh, and then too, the big piece with this spot, I feel like, is getting in quiet because I am mm. within earshot of where deer are bedding. Like I hear them when they get up in the evenings and I hear them mill around for a long time in the bedding area and then start coming out. And then in the mornings I hear them come back in and I know they can't go very much further or they're going to either be 
into pressure on one side or pressure on the other. So I know they're not going much further. So my fear is getting in there, thunderstorm, lightning, that kind of stuff. I'm going to need to get out anyway because I, I don't mind rain. I'll sit in the rain all day long. I do not like lightning. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of lightning. And honestly, I'm not a big fan of high winds when I'm out there in the, in the timber. Um, there's just too many, too many blowdowns in the area where I like to hunt to, to look at it and be like, ah, I feel totally safe in here. Yeah. You know, especially not hanging from a tree. Yeah. I, I can't disagree with you. So anyway, I, can't disagree with you. I think I'll do some scouting tomorrow. So man, what is your, what is your season going to look like now? I mean, you're tagged out in PA. You're shifting gears to bear, huh? That's my hope. Um, so I've done this in the past. I, I, have, I have people I hunt with. I, I always try to be a part of the hunt for them, for their buck. You know, I have a, a buddy that I went to college with. He didn't start hunting until he went to college and started hanging around me and some of my other buddies that hunt. And, you know, he, he's, he started to get back, you know, into hunting with us. And, you know, I, I'd love to see him wrap his, his tag around something. This year I got um, my, my sister-in-law bought, you know, a house with 20-some acres on it. He wants to shoot her first year. So I'm hoping to take her and she can shoot her first year. Uh, but for myself, um, I still have a pile of doe tags I'd like to fill. Um, I, I, you know, that, that's always fun for me. So I've got the rest of the season until the end of January to do that. And, yeah, I'm definitely thinking about bears. So this Saturday, the 5th, is when, when our archery bear season ends. And it, it pains me to say this, but I've literally gone zero times. Uh, for for archery bear and, and the muzzleloader bear, just with my schedule. But our rifle bear season opens the weekend of uh, November nineteenth, and I'll be grinding that out. And then where I also have a cabin that I deer hunt at, the opening week of deer season, you can also shoot a bear in that location in that in that wildlife management unit. So those are going to be my two times where I I focus on that. So I'm kind of shifting gears to, yeah, thinking about bear, but um, both of those hunts that I just brought up, the rifle bear hunt, and then the, the first week of gun deer season, um, I do some group hunts. And this, the second week at the, the at my deer camp, um, I actually kind of formulated the group, and, and I'm kind of helped run some of the, the pushes we do in the areas we go. So my hope is to do some scouting to fine tune where we want to spend time in those areas. And yeah, I want to shoot a bear. I want to put myself in a situation when I'm still hunting to shoot a bear or, uh, you know, setting watches up or when I'm walking, I have that on my mind. But, uh, for me now I am just as much, um, I'm just as happy seeing one of the people that I hunt with wrap their tag around something. Yeah. Um, and I've, I'm, I'm optimistic that maybe I'll go to Maryland or Ohio yet this year, but I'm just not going to hold my breath on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Man, tell me what's coming up in the next uh, next week or so. You've got an episode dropping tomorrow, I guess, for the Pennsylvania Woodsman, so that won't be out before this one comes out. But tell me what's coming down the pike for the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast. Yeah, great. So uh, tomorrow, um, you know, speak for everybody tomorrow. This will be Friday the 4th. Um, I did an episode with uh, John Teeter from Whitetail Landscapes. Um, that's a guy that I wish would have the time to come on to these deer hunting camp episodes and let everybody pick his brain because right. John is one of those people that when you talk to him, I feel like he's that guy in the Giuseppe's beer commercial. He is the most interesting man in the room. Like, <laughs> like some of the stuff that he talks about and the way he, his thought process works, I just really enjoy listening. So we have a um, kind of a rut conversation, but kind of a, just a general deer hunting conversation on pressured private land and managing private land, you know, something that I hold very dear to me. And then uh, next week, the, I guess it would be the 11th, um, I have an episode coming out for bear hunting. And it's going to be a roundtable discussion with uh, three bear hunters um, that I highly respect that have you know, hunted in different areas of Pennsylvania, different vegetation types, different terrain types, similar patterns. And they just kind of go through and we, we talk about um, how they approach scouting, what they do 
or what they used to do um, leading up to bear season to prepare for those locations. And then how do you safely and effectively take a group of guys and manipulate um, walking through the woods and try to move bear? Um, it is in Pennsylvania the most effective way to kill bear. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more strategy behind it than I ever knew about. Um, just to give you an example, like so many people in, in places that we do drives in Pennsylvania for bear, it's, you know, you line one side of the mountain up, you line the other side of the mountain up, but one group of guys walks to the other one, they're hooting and hollering the whole way. And yeah, absolutely, we kill bear that way. But what I learned from guys like we have on the show coming up next week is, uh, you know, just the same that we talk about a mature buck skirt and pressure. And, you know, kind of cutting, you know, cutting the line. Like I listened to an episode that you did with Tony Peterson watching pheasant hunters, you know, how, how uh, that young buck was, was bedded and watching uh, pheasant hunters kind of go through and just kind of moved from that pressure and really didn't go far and just kind of skirted around. Um, What I've, what I've learned from, from these individuals and from, from, you know, my own hunting experiences here recently is bear do the same thing. Mm. And when you're, the, the past 10 years where I, I do my first rifle bear hunt, I've noticed that most of the bear that we're getting out of in that way I just described doing it is we're, we're killing them when they're the first year away from mom. So it's basically the equivalency of a year and a half old buck. It's a two-year-old bear. A year and 10 months is, is what that age would be. But it's, it's the youngest, youngest bear in the woods. Or it's a sow with cubs who has a motherly instinct and is kind of weighed down with sow. And those are the bear that come out to the drive and, and, and give the opportunity. Have we killed mature bear? Yes, we have. There's been plenty of cases where we killed it, but it's not to the frequency. Mm. And, you know, we, we get talking about strategy and pockets to shoot mature buck. Well, I'm interested in that because I've, I've been fortunate to kill two bear in Pennsylvania with a rifle. I would really, really love to kill a big mature bear. Yeah, uh, I would be awesome to shoot a big three, four, five hundred pound boar in Pennsylvania. Ooh. And there's people that uh, there's people that do it, but <clears throat> what I'm learning is that there's just more strategy to it. So it's a it's a it's a cool episode. I'm really excited about that. And then we got a couple other cool stuff lined up. Uh, but that that's the one I'm most excited about is that one in two weeks. Very cool. One of their hunting round. I'm sorry. No, dude, I'm I'm so interested in this, and I I can't wait to catch that episode because uh, when I head back to Georgia. So hopefully I will tag out here in Wisconsin. Then I've got a lot of hunting in Alabama. I'm going to be there for an entire week around uh, Thanksgiving week, basically. I'll be there in Alabama. So I'll be doing a good bit of hunting there. I'll have a little bit of hunting in Georgia between the two things, or between my hunt here in Wisconsin and my hunt there, which the, the rut will be rolling where I'm at in Georgia when I get back. So prime time, you know, I'm back, I'm back just in time for the rut there. Um, but then I've got these bear tags in Georgia and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I've got two bear tags and I would really, really like to get a bear. Like I've never even hunted bears. I've never lived in a place where I could hunt bears before. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued. Can't wait to catch that episode, but, uh, Mitch, we're going to wrap things up, man. Thanks for coming back to deer camp this week. Uh, folks go check out the Pennsylvania woodsman podcast, go find him on Instagram at Pennsylvania woodman woodsman podcast, right? Yeah, you got it. Hey, thanks for the shout out here, but I'm most of, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm just, I'm just here for camaraderie and moral support of the side. It's time for you and, and the rest of the crew to get it done. I'm anxious to see, uh, anxious to see what you can, uh, can make happen. Cause I think you're on to something, Josh. Yeah, man. I appreciate it, buddy. I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to get after him pretty hard. I'm going to head out in the morning. I'm going to treat tomorrow. I- I've decided in my, in my mind, as you were talking, I've decided I'm going to treat tomorrow morning like a hunt. I'm going to sneak my way into this other spot that's like the spot that I found. I can either confirm or deny that it is also getting the same kind of treatment. If I have to leave it a little bit early because of weather, I don't really care because I went in there and I learned something new about a new spot. I don't care about burning that spot. Uh, You know, I haven't disturbed it too much. I haven't shot at a buck in that spot. I'm relatively certain Friday, Saturday, no guys are going to be into the spot that I was because it's going to be pouring down rain both days that keeps most people at home unless you're a duck hunter and you're crazy hunting ducks this time of year. Man, the number of people hunting ducks and pheasants right now, I cannot believe it. Like, I'm like, this is really, it's just, it's wild, man. This place is overrun by pheasant and duck hunters right now and bow hunters too. But it's like, 
why are you guys all out hunting pheasants and stuff? Anyway, uh, go shoot some bucks. But yeah, I'm glad they're hunting yeah, pheasants. Yeah, that would be me too. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm going to go in there. I'm going to treat it like a scouting mission. If I get in there, I find a good spot to set up. Then wonderful. I'm going to set up for the day for as long as I can stand it. If I can sit all day, great. If the weather gets too bad, I can pull out and I'm not feeling bad because I learned something new. And that spot's primed and ready for me on Sunday morning when the weather turns great and the bucks should be up on their feet. So, all right. Thanks for coming on today, Mitch. Have a good one. Good luck. Send me the hero picks. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you could leave us a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, Deer Lab, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show and help me bring you great content each and every week. If you're looking for more outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you're going to find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts.